please stand for the reading of God's word. This is Exodus chapter 6 and verses 2 through 8. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But I did not let myself be known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them Canaan, the land where for a time they settled as foreigners. And now I have heard the groaning of the Israelites enslaved by the Egyptians, and I am mindful of my covenant. Therefore I say, and therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I shall free you from your labors in Egypt and deliver you from slavery. I shall rescue you with outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I shall adopt you as my people, and I shall be your God. You will know that I, the Lord, am your God the God who frees you from your labors in Egypt. I shall lead you to the land which I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I shall give it you for your possession. I am the Lord. And now please turn to Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. The Lord answered, See, now I have made you like a god for Pharaoh with your brother Aaron as your spokesman. Tell Aaron all I command you to say, and he will tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave his country. But I shall make him stubborn, and though I show sign after sign and portent after portent in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I shall assert my power in Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I shall bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt in their tribal hosts. When I exert my power against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from there, then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Moses and Aaron did exactly as the Lord had commanded. At the time when they spoke to Pharaoh, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83. The word of God for the people of God. Let's get it started here. Oh, good morning. Well, today is a day annually, right? We were just praying about this in, uh, a couple minutes ago where we, we are going to experience a certain kind of glory this afternoon, <laughs> the glory of man, uh, and it is a fun glory to behold, uh, but this morning we are here to behold a much bigger, better, fuller glory, the glory of the Lord. And uh, we're here to worship Him, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We've already started that, but we're going to do that through uh, His Word, and then we're going to create some space uh, to do that through song, and we're going to end with just some, some open space to worship our Lord this morning. So 
Um, just as Mark just said, wherever you find yourself t- today, we hope that um, this time is a time where we can be still and know that he is God and experience him as God today. That's what we're going to do through, the, through these passages. So what I'm going to do today and next week, we're actually going to, I'm going to cover the, the redemption out of Egypt, the exodus, the, the plagues, uh, the, the Passover, um, the crossing of the sea. I'm going to do that in two weeks. This week I'm going to cover it big picture, and next week we'll focus in on the Passover itself. So um, I've had about 20 iterations of this sermon this week. Um, I don't know if number 21 is the right one or not, but it's what you're going to get. Um, but what I want to do today is, is kind of just think, you know, the escape from Egypt is an entire sermon series, and this is not a series on the escape from Egypt. So I'm gonna, I want to just stay really high level today and look at what is going on in these plagues and the crossing of the sea, what God was doing. What was, what was kind of the meta story happening? What's, what's the point and purpose of this all? And what we're going to see is, is really what we've already sung about, is that God was acting in the world through these acts of redemption and these acts of judgment, that, um, that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth, that people might come to know who he is. So let me start with these, just, we're going to walk pretty quickly through the passages that Doreen just read to us, and then I want to kind of think big picture about, about the escape from Egypt. So go back to uh, chapter 6, and um, beginning in verse 2. So chapter 6, we got words to the Israelites, right? And then in chapter 7, we got words to Pharaoh, okay? And I want you to see the theme that's real common in both of them. So first, look at this, beginning verse 2, what God has to say through Moses to the Israelites. Uh, Even as Doreen was reading, I was thinking, notice the repetition. Verse 2, here's what you say. I am the Lord, right? Uh, Verse 6, I am the Lord. And then it ends at the end of verse 8, I am the Lord, okay? God is wanting them to know that he is the Lord, and he reveals himself. This is like foundational truths about who our God is in this passage, He reveals himself as the God who is faithful to his covenant, right? Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? I I have a history with this people and their descendants. And he says at the end of verse 6, and now I've remembered my covenant. I made a promise, I made a covenant, and now I'm making due on that promise. He's this God of covenantal faithfulness, we would say uh, sticky love, <laughs> the kind of you can't get rid of me kind of love. I'm, I'm, I'm faithful to my people and to the promises I make to them, and now I'm going to fulfill these long-standing promises to the people. And then in verse 6, look at all of the I statements or the I will, what God is going to do for Israel. I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will free you from, the, uh, from being slaves. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own, right? I will do all of these things that you can't do for yourselves. I will do them in honor of my covenant, honor of my promises. And what's the whole point of all of this? Look at the second half of verse 7. Then you will know that I am the Lord, okay? All of this is happening so that you will know that I'm the Lord. So three times he says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. I am the Lord, I'm the Lord. And I'm going to do all of this for you. And the result of that will be, you will know that I am the Lord. Okay, they already know that he's the Lord. 
What does that mean? I, I think what that means is the full weight of who I am, you will experience in power. My, my faithfulness, my power, my ability to redeem and heal, my love for you, my, my commitment, all that I am, all that, that Mark just outlined about who God is, when this all happens, the result will be the full force of who I am. You will come to experience it, and you will know that I am the Lord. Amen. Okay? That's the, that's the why behind everything that's going to happen in the next eight chapters. Okay, that's the ultimate purpose. Okay, go to chapter 7. Look at the words now to Pharaoh through Moses. Okay, again, powerful acts that God is going to do. I will, I will, right? Look at verse 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will multiply signs and wonders. Um, I will lay my hand on Egypt, and I will bring out my people. I will, now not acts of redemption, but acts of judgment, right? Acts of powerful acts. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And what's the point? Look at verse 5. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Okay? Meaning the full force, the full weight of my person and my ability to do things will be experienced by them, and especially by their king, Pharaoh. So if I could sum this up, right, this is what we see in this, in this first chapter 6 to the Israelites, these faithful acts of redemption so that you will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 7, to the Egyptians, especially to Pharaoh, mighty acts of judgment, and you will know that I am the Lord, okay? And this is who our God is. He is at work in this world through acts of redemption, through acts of judgment, he raises up the humble, the needy, the broken, those who depend on him. He brings down the, pr the proud, the arrogant, those who resist him. And the goal of all of that is so that you may know that I am the Lord, that God might be known in the earth. Okay, that's kind of a summary of what's going to happen in the next seven chapters. And so now what I want to do is just, we're not, we're not going to read the next seven chapters. We actually did this as a staff uh, last week, which was really fun to read just like, seven chapters straight or five or six, but we looked at all the, all the, all the plagues. But what I want to do is just kind of overview this for you, and I want you to experience it first through the eyes of the, of the Israelites and then through the eyes of Pharaoh himself, and that's really what we see in these next chapters. Okay, so um, first let's talk about the plagues themselves. Um, they're not called plagues uh, in the original. They're, they're mighty deeds. They're uh, signs and wonders, but we know them as the plagues. And um, this is kind of a cute, you know, picture. They weren't cute, obviously. Um, but let me just, just so you can see them, right? God begins to unleash his power on Egypt, okay? The Nile turns into blood. Frogs are all over the place. Then gnats, then flies, then the livestock are, are plagued with some disease. Then there's boils on people. There's hail and fire, there's this swarm of locusts, and darkness covers the land. And then, of course, number 10, we'll look at this one next week, the death of the firstborn, right? These 10 signs and wonders uh, from the Lord in Egypt. Here's one artist's depiction of one of the signs. I think this is actually the, the, the livestock, and you see there's a dead something down at the bottom there. Um, but let me just, you know, I want to look at these through the eyes of the Israelites and through the eyes of, the, of Pharaoh, but... Before I, let's just talk about these for a second, okay? I know that these raise so many questions on so many levels that we can't cover today. Um, 
but a couple lenses to see these actions through. One is, um, this is like creation gone berserk, okay, right? And what you're seeing is the God of creation, a lot, a lot of this echoes Genesis 1, this God who made so much life teeming with just, you know, diversity and beauty, but puts boundaries and order around things. All of a sudden, all that boundary and orderliness is gone, and you have, you know, creation run amok. Um, flies where they don't belong, you know, frogs in numbers that are just out of control. And what you have is, is the God of creation revealing that he is, in fact, fully in charge of his creation, that he, is, he alone is the God of creation. And with that, what you really see him doing, and I, I haven't done like a deep dive study on this, but you see uh, God systematically dismantling the gods of the Egyptian culture in these plagues. And again, I haven't done a, a deep dive, but um, what scholars will say is like each one of these plagues is associated with some Egyptian god and the sphere of influence that they had, okay? So like the Nile, we know, is really important in, in Egyptian culture, and there, there's, you know, there's a god associated with that, and the first one is to turn the, the water into blood. Um, the ninth plague really brings us out where darkness covers the whole land. Like the, the prime Egyptian god was the, the god Ra, who was the sun god responsible for the sun. And so in the ninth plague, you have God just bringing darkness over the whole land and just showing that he's far superior to their, like, ark god Ra. And then in the tenth plague, you have the death of the firstborn where God actually cuts off Pharaoh's own line, and that ultimately goes against Pharaoh himself and his line. And Pharaoh was thought to be an embodiment uh, of a god. So you have, you have the God dismantling systematically the gods of Egypt, revealing himself as the one true God through these plagues. Uh, and the other thing just to note is that you have in these plagues, you have God enacting his justice on Egypt. And um, these plagues, uh, they don't read great to the sensibilities of modern readers, if I can say it that way. Um, but we have to remember, if we've been reading carefully through chapters 1 through 5, just the utter injustice and oppression of this evil empire, and especially its evil king. And so that, 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 you have to remember that context as you see these things unleashed uh, uh, on this empire, that this is, this is God's justice um, being enacted. And again, the 10th the plague is the, the obvious example of this, right? The, the killing of the firstborn male seems so extreme, but we have to remember Exodus begins with Pharaoh issuing an edict that all Hebrew males are to be killed, right? So this is perfect poetic justice on uh, an evil Pharaoh, an you know, e evil dynasty of oppression. So you've got this God's power at work revealing himself as the creator, dismantling the gods, enacting his justice. But what I want to do for the rest of our time is I just want to, I want to look at this through the eyes of the Hebrews and through the eyes of Pharaoh, okay? And see God's purposes. It's really the same purpose at work in both of them that I've already mentioned. But I just want to tease this out a little bit. Okay, so let's think about the Egyptians. Here they are, enslaved. Uh, and they're told, we read this just uh, in, verse, in chapter 6, God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Okay, so again, we can't read all this today. But I, I want you to imagine being these Israelites, okay? So for decades, maybe centuries, 
um, you have been enslaved. You've been oppressed. Life has been so hard. And um, you're powerless. You're, you, you're, you're not just a slave. You're a slave in the most powerful empire in the world. There's no chance of rescue. And then this guy Moses comes back, and he says, your God has appeared to me. And he said that he sees you, and he hears you, and he has compassion on your suffering. And he's going to save you. He's going to redeem you. And you're like, great, <laughs> right? And then stuff starts going down, right? Like stuff starts happening. And these, these, these powers of creation are on display. Blood, um, you know, frogs, gnats. And it's interesting. The first three plagues, everybody experiences them. You're experiencing them. It's just, it's just chaos is unleashed in Egypt. You're trying to figure out what this is all about. But at the beginning in the fourth plague, God says, I will make a distinction between my people and the Israelites. So from number four to ten, you're watching this chaos unleashed on Egypt, and it's not being unleashed on you. Your livestock are the only ones not being plagued. Okay? Your skin is the only skin that isn't breaking out in boils. There's darkness everywhere, but you're still remaining in light. And then, of course, the final one, your children are able to, to live. And you're seeing in real time this God who actually does see you and notices you and distinguishes you and cares about you. And you're seeing his power on display on your behalf, what you can't do for yourselves. Okay? Ten mighty deeds, and we know how the story goes. It ends with Pharaoh finally lets them go. Right? They, they come out into the wilderness. They come up to the, the foot of the Red Sea or some sea. We don't know exactly what sea it was or where it was exactly. Um, and they're stuck there, right? And then Pharaoh changes his mind for the 20th time, and he sends his army out there, and they end up stuck, right? Stuck at the Red Sea. Famous stuff, the stuff of movies, right? And... Um, and, you're, and you're thinking, oh, we're, we're toast. This is all so beautiful and ends so tragically, right? And then this is what God says. Or this is what Moses says. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And here's the line. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Right? And then, the, and then the seas part, and you cross. And then the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened again, and his whole army goes across, and the seas close up. And you see the dead bodies of Egyptians lying, you know, at the foot of the, of the shore. And what do you learn? You have come to know that I am the Lord. <laughs> right? I made this promise to you that I would fight for you, and you witnessed it through these ten mighty deeds and this beautiful crossing of the sea that I will fight for you. And you will know that I am the Lord. And it's really a pretty amazing thing. Think about this. God took you a group of, we'll call it hundreds of thousands. Who knows what the exact number is? Hundreds of thousands of people enslaved in the most powerful empire in the world. And he rescued you without a single military battle. Can you imagine Hundreds of thousands of enslaved people getting out of a country, and not one sword is ever lifted. It's entirely of God's doing. And the point, 
for, for Israel was this, so that you would know that I am the Lord who redeems you, who rescues you, who saves you. And the whole story, the whole escape ends with this line. This is the end of chapter 14. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. They did indeed know that he was the Lord, and they, the sense of awe and wonder was experienced, and they trusted him. And then chapter 15 is entirely a song of worship to God. So he did what he said he would do, and the result was there. You came to know that I am the Lord, and they worship him. And this is what the Lord is up to in the world. I'm saying all this because this is who our God is, right? This is sort of the, the ultimate example, minus this example right here. But other than that, this is kind of the big event of history, showing us what God is up to. But this is the kind of thing that God is still up to among his people. What does he do? He brings us to places of need, places of brokenness, places of desperation, places of poverty, whatever word you want to use. And then he reveals himself and he works in our lives so that we would know that he is the Lord. And I'll bet those of us who are committed to Jesus, we could all tell stories of how God has done that in dramatic ways and not so dramatic ways in our lives, right? Bringing his people to these places of need, brokenness, hunger, thirst, desperation, and then stepping in and acting so that we would fear him and put our trust in him. For some of us, that is mainly an intellectual thing where there's, there's ideas that we've been confronted with and the, the truth of who God is finally compels us, right? We, we, we kind of surrender to the truth of who he is. For others of us, it's been super practical. Like, we've just found ourselves in really hard moments of our lives, very practically, relationally, financially, you name it. And we cry out and God redeems and he shows up in power and we come to know that he is the Lord. Amen? And this is what God is up to in the world, raising up those who know their need for him so that we might fear him, we might put our trust in him, we might worship him, we might know that he is the Lord. All right, so that's it through the eyes of the Israelites. Uh, Now let's look at it through the eyes of Pharaoh. This is a slightly different story, as you can imagine. Uh, And there's so much I'd love to say that I probably can't, I don't have time to say today, but um, what I would call chapters um, 7 through 14, I would call this um, Pharaoh's theological education, if I can put it that way. Okay? So last week, chapter 5, first words out of this Pharaoh's mouth were this, who is the Lord that I should obey him? What's this Lord to me? I don't, I don't care about this guy. I don't know this guy. Who, who is he that I should obey him? And it's going to end with this, God saying, now you will know that I am the Lord, right? And that's really what the author primarily focuses on, actually, is is this experience through the eyes of Pharaoh, his theological education, this man who begins so stubborn, so resistant, slowly, over the course of seven or ten plagues, experiencing the full force of who God is, slowly having to come to terms the hard way with who God is. And um, there's some really What do I do after this? Yeah. There's some really interesting dynamics going on with Pharaoh. And let me just kind of just let you in on a couple of them. Again, reading this, it'd be great to read this 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 week. It's awesome reading. Um, So what you see in these chapters is you see, one thing you see is uh, Pharaoh's, his influence and power slowly beginning to wane. 
And you see that with his, his own, he's got his court of magicians, like his sort of inner circle, and you watch his power and influence with them, Wayne. So really interesting, the first two plagues, um, which are uh, the, the blood and the frogs, the, his, Egyptians, uh, or his magicians are actually able to, to mimic those uh, plagues through their own dark arts, which raises all sorts of questions for me that we don't get answers to. But they're able to do those, but by the third one, um, they are no longer able to, to compete. They're, they can't keep up with Moses at that point. Uh, and they, they acknowledge at the third one, the finger of God is in this. They're, they're, oh, okay, maybe, maybe God's at work in this. Then in the next three, they actually begin to, exp- not only can't they not do the plagues, but they begin to experience the plagues themselves. By the, by the sixth one, they are covered in boils themselves. And they, it says, and, and uh, Pharaoh's uh, court, they couldn't even stand in the presence of Moses anymore. Not only can't they compete, but they can't even come in his presence because they're infested with these sores. And then in the last three, you have Pharaoh's own magicians actually begging him to let the Israelites go. Okay? So you're watching him experience the, the loss of his influence and his power. And then, of course, you have Pharaoh's own inner experience. is really fascinating. He begins really stubborn. Um, so the first three plagues. first three plagues happen, totally unmoved. Pharaoh refused to let them go. No, no conversation. Nope, not doing this. Beginning in the fourth plague, uh, Pharaoh becomes increasingly open to coming to the negotiating table, we could say, okay, with increasing concessions. And so the concessions go like this. It's, it's kind of fun. It's funny, actually. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but it's funny to, to read it uh, in real time. So the first one goes, um, okay, you want to go sacrifice to your God? Fine, I'll let you sacrifice. Why don't you just sacrifice here in Egypt? Okay, that's chapter 7. Moses says, no, that, we have to do this out in the wilderness. And he says, okay, you can go into the wilderness, but just don't go very far. That's the next one. Uh, and then in chapter 7, he says, or chapter 10, he says, okay, you, can, um, you, can, you and your men can go out, but leave your women and children here. And Moses says, no, that's going to work. And then finally he says, uh, okay, the women and children can go, only leave your cattle uh, behind. And so you watch him slowly just getting broken down by the power of God, being willing to make increasing concessions. And with that, too, what was really interesting to me is, is watching his, um, his own heart wrestle and go through these like moments of resistance and then openness and even confession and acknowledgement of who God is, and then right back into, these, into this heart of resistance. Let me just read to you some of the things he says. Chapter 8, he actually says to Moses, pray for me, Moses. Okay, he's asking for prayer after what's been going on. Chapter 9, okay, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I am in the wrong. This is coming from Pharaoh. Chapter 10, now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord for me. So you have this man, and his heart is wrestling, and he, he can see the reality, and then he, he closes it back up. One, one commentary put it this way. He, he relents, and then he relents from relenting, right? And, and it's, it's, it's just this um, really interesting journey, but we, we know the story ends with him utterly broken down by the power of the Lord, utterly defeated, destroyed. It ends with his whole army, or whatever part of the army went out, you know, out there, drown in the sea, having learned the hard way, and you will know that I am the Lord, right? His theological education, what I call it. And 
Um, this is also what God is up to in the world today. He is confronting human pride. This is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. Confronting human pride, greed, uh, inappropriate power, human resistance, right? Confronting it. And um, the story is actually heartbreaking. And I don't think the author intends us to feel sorry for Pharaoh. Like that's not, I don't think that's where his sympathies lie, but it really is a heartbreaking story. And I guess for me, I mean, Pharaoh's unique. There's some unique dynamics there, but what's heartbreaking is his story is, is lived a thousand times, right? A million times in this world. And just as I said earlier, all of us have our own stories. All of us probably have people in our lives that we can think of. And I'm thinking of people who at some point acknowledge something about there being a God, Right? And we'll, but we'll walk this journey of resistance to this God. And sometimes something will go down in their lives and it feels like, oh, it feels like they're kind of opening up to the Lord and there's, there's, there's confession, there's, there seems to be real repentance or at least acknowledgement. And then life goes back to normal and then, no, then they just go back to doing their thing. And, the, and it's just this, this push and pull in their hearts of resistance to the Lord, kind of open and tug, and then, but no, and, then, and, it, and the story just kind of ends sadly. And those stories happen all the time. And it's, it's heartbreaking. But this is, this is the reality. We, we walk this journey, okay, all of us, and one way or another, <laughs> we will all come to know that I am the Lord, your God. And and some of us will not learn that in this life. For some, that lesson will be in the next life. Pharaoh learned it in this life. <laughs> um, but for some, that, is, that won't be the case. But, but God always wins in the end, right? He's he, the, the, the God of the universe. Um, he wins. And it will be made clear to all. That I am the Lord, as, as Isaiah says, then Paul repeats it, but before me every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am the Lord. Whether that is in worship, whether that is in joy, or whether that is with some other um, emotion. But this is who our God is, right? He's at work in this world. Beautiful acts of redemption, raising up those who recognize their needs. So we might know that he's the Lord, might worship him and praise him and give him glory. And also acts of judgment, right? Mighty acts so that all will know that he is the Lord. I want to I leave you with a, um, something right in the middle of the plagues that God says to Pharaoh. This would be a sermon series here um, if this is what our series was on. But this is, really gets to the very heart of things. This God through Moses saying this to Pharaoh. Really interesting. He says, Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Okay? He raised up a, a pretty evil guy. And it's really clear that, he, that Pharaoh had a, had a really hardened, wicked heart to begin with. But we also hear from the story that God accelerated that process, that God hardened his heart as well. And he says, actually, I, I'm using you, Pharaoh, because there's something I want to do, because I want to display my power. And that power I'm going to display through mighty signs that everyone can see, but that requires a really resistant king 
who won't let the people go so that I can keep showing my power. Lots there. Sermon series in that comment right there, right? My point today is though, but the purpose that I've raised you up is for this point, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why I've raised you up to Pharaoh, because I don't just want Israel to know that I am the Lord, and I don't just want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord. I want the whole earth to know that I am the Lord. And these mighty acts will be a testament to everybody. And God's plan worked, because here we are 4,000 years later or so, worshiping, singing Yahweh, Yahweh this morning. Because of these actions in Egypt and, of course, other actions that God went after. But my point being, this is at the very heart of God. This is God's plan for the world that my name might be proclaimed. This is why he does what he does. This is the ultimate reason for why he does what he does. Acts of mercy and salvation acts of judgment so that his name might be proclaimed. And this right here, this event right here is the ultimate example of that, right? The cross is a massive act of judgment on the pride and sin and wickedness of the world. And at the very same time, it is the beautiful act of redemption and forgiveness and mercy for all those who recognize their need for him. And he's done this through his son, through the death of his firstborn son, so that you will know that I am the Lord, so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Amen? It is about God from first, middle, and last. Man, when we... um, I mean, Jesus, the return of Christ, there's... There's the next big event, (laughs) act of judgment, act of redemption, and we all will know in that moment. But eternity, the beauty of eternity is going to be being in the presence, the full weight and force of his person and presence and beauty and glory and power. We'll experience it. We'll know that he is the Lord and it will bring such joy to our souls. Uh, some, some of us uh, grew up with the four spiritual laws. I'm a fan. I'm not, I'm not actually, I'm a fan of the four spiritual laws, okay? I'm not, I, I don't know what those laughs meant, but, um, but the first one goes this way. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, okay? And I want to change that one of, of all, I want to change that one a little bit to say, actually, the story is this. God has a wonderful plan for his name, Right? And you get to be a part of that plan. You get to be a part of this grand story of knowing that he is the Lord and being able to proclaim his name. And the story ends with God's name being proclaimed. And so I'll just leave you on my own personal note. I was really confronted this week by the um, self-centeredness of my life. That as I think of even my own spiritual life, so much of it is about my own comfort And it's my own little self-improvement project. How much I embark on my own little self-improvement project. And God has reminded me, it's not about you, really. Like, I do love you. And I do want to rescue you. And I do want to change you. 
But again, the glory of eternity is not that I'm going to be a slightly better version of myself, though I'm looking forward to that part of it. But the glory is going to be you will be in the presence of Yahweh, the living God. You will know it, and you will, his name will be proclaimed forever. And really, that's the story we're invited into from, from Genesis to Revelation. That is the story. And so what we want to be is these people whose hearts, the fundamental heartbeat is this, Father, your name be hallowed, right? Hallowed be your name. I just want, I want to see how great you are. I want everyone to see how great you are. That's why I'm living my life. That's the journey I'm on. And that's the journey we're on. And God wins. He's going to win one way or another. And so let's be people who surrender to that beautiful story, uh, even now. So let's do this. Let's go to prayer, and then we're just going to spend just more time than usual just praying, or, or just singing. And um, you know what? You, you might be moved emotionally in this time. You might not be moved. That's okay. Let's take this and go, God, this, actually, this time really isn't for us. This time is for you, to declare to you who you are. This, this is for you. So, great if I get moved, but if not, it's really not for me. <laughs> it's for you. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll worship together. Father, um, I confess, confess that, and I think I speak for many of us, that our, our vision is so small sometimes that it's so tightly connected with our own little lives. And that's natural. But I do pray that your spirit would be at work in us, opening up our, our vista, our perspective, seeing that all of this really is about you in the end. And then surrendering and just being willing to jump into that story with you at the very center of it and actually finding greater joy and fulfillment than we ever could constantly focus on ourselves and our own comforts. Jumping into this adventure, uh, this worshipful adventure uh, that all points to your goodness and your power also, your sovereignty, your beauty. So even now, would you stir us up through your spirit, lift up our minds, lift up our, our, our hearts, to focus on you. We pray that we might do that too Monday through Saturday of this next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.